0: Hello and welcome. This podcast is all about you. My name is Pat McKeown, and I'll be your host. I started this podcast to record conversations with a wide variety of people about their emotional well-being. I want to inform myself and others about the universal human condition to enable us to live more fulfilling lives with reduced emotional suffering. I also want to use the podcast to promote the philosophy of having nothing to hide when it comes to our innermost experiences. This is something I will try to embody as a host, and I will encourage my guests to be similarly forthcoming in the hope of having you, the listener, reveal your emotional self. After hearing about the depth and breadth of the guests' experiences, you will realise you are not alone when experiencing your darkest and brightest moments. Today's guest is Cormac Ryan. I was introduced to Cormac after his interview with the Sunday Independent, titled, "Anguish Banished by the Fortitude of Hurling's Family this fantastic article served as a major piece of inspiration for me going public with my own revealing story. Cormac is an articulate man and his words resonate with me greatly. In our conversation we discuss how he came to initially share his emotional experiences in that independent article, his cycle for life initiative, his feelings of guilt, challenging oneself, ego, grace and much more topics. Please message your feedback on this conversation and the You Project to the You Facebook page. That's Y-E-W, for your emotional wellbeing. With your insight, the project will be able to make a real difference. And now, without further ado, here's Cormac Ryan. So, Cormac, this podcast is all about you. I was talking there about your cash flow story, and you mentioned how you don't like reading out things you've written yourself.
1: No. Why is Why's that? Um I don't know. I've probably never written many things myself. Um in terms of that type of I don't know. Um like a piece of writing like that is probably that cash race story is probably the only thing I've ever done. I suppose I probably used to type a few things down in a notebook or a diary and or on my a word document on my laptop and when I was kinda going through stuff maybe, but I dunno. Even any kinda newspaper articles or stuff like that I might read them once and then afterwards I, I don't know so I wouldn't kind of touch them again let alone read them aloud so so your interview with The Independent and your interview with Joe you've read those once once twice maybe if they pop back up on a, right. on a timeline and like oh yeah remember that I'm I like going to the end but I generally I don't I, I I might read I've read them once or twice but i Something that then that's something someone else has written, but then something that I've okay. I wrote myself, like my cash story. I don't know. I Yes. Yeah. So you're not going just, to re- you're not going to read it out today. I don't think so. But you're happy, you're happy for me to read it. You can read it. I don't know why, but okay. I don't know. I just maybe it's a I don't know. Maybe I'm devaluing it or something. I don't
0: know. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a very eloquent and articulate story, and I mentioned before how it largely inspired me to put. My own experience to paper, mm. um, along with Connor Cusack and, and Donal Walsh, it was a massive source of inspiration. It, it's brilliant. I'm excited now to read your Cashfest story, and we can have a chat about the story, about the time since, and about your emotional well-being and your emotional experience. So without further ado, here is your Cashfest story. We are not odd. We are not feeling low. We are not sad. We are not overly emotional. We are not soft. We are no different to anyone else. We are depressed. Say the word. There's no reason we shouldn't. Destroy the stigma. In October of 2014, I went public with my battle with mental illness. A large part of the past three years was covered in darkness, hopelessness, and not really seeing the point in life. Speaking out is by far the best thing I have ever done in my life in terms of helping me beat depression. It took me three years, but I can hand on heart say that I am finally back to my old self. I am telling you all this to show that there is always hope, no matter how bad things get. Hold on to that unrelenting hope. I promise you, there is always a way back. So what is it like? Next month, it is three years since it all started. I can only describe it as two years of complete and utter torture and a year of slowly returning to my old self. Depression is torture. Let us not play it down. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. I've cried more in the last three years than I probably will in the rest of my life. Night after night, staying up into the early hours, lying there, staring at the ceiling in floods of tears, never quite sure why. Day after day, facing my Everest of trying to get out of bed. Motivation no longer existed. I didn't want to see anyone or do anything. I could not deal with life. I had nothing worth being alive for. I felt like I wasn't making anyone's life better by being on the planet. I was a burden to my friends and family. I should have died. These were the thoughts I was having, and the ones that so many of us have when we are depressed. Every now and then I still struggle. We all do. Not a day goes by that I don't have to beat away a negative thought that once would have kept me bedbound for a few days. In that regard, time really does help heal. I can deal with them now. You will be able to soon, too. I've come to learn the true happiness in oneself and genuinely being content with your life is one of the greatest gifts we have. For when we don't have it, life can be a cruel struggle encapsulated by a seemingly impenetrable darkness. That is depression. We are not happy in ourselves or with our lives but there is a way to bring that joy and feeling of worth back and it's through a simple four-letter word talk. So often in life the phrase just get on with it gets thrown around. Ignore it. We cannot just get on with mental illness. When I first became depressed for months I tried to just get on with life and force myself to be happy but after a few months I soon realised that I would kill myself if I continued like that. Who was I trying to kid? I was depressed. Why try hide it? Over the past two and a half years, I never once tried to get on with life, because I knew I couldn't. No one can. I knew I had to face the dark thoughts and emotions that I held within, for it was the only way that I was ever going to get a grasp of them. To anyone out there who knows deep down that they are depressed, embrace it. Let the emotions and dark feelings take over for a while. For the reality is that you will never be able to keep them out forever. But, and herein lies the key, when you let them in, express them. Talk about them. Write them down. Cry. Run. Scream. Laugh at the confusion. Anything. True courage is letting the issue in. Letting the emotions be released and each time, I guarantee you, it will become that bit easier. Step by step you will move out of the darkness of depression. Trust me, humanity is kind. People will help you. The stigma in this country merely means that people are afraid to talk about mental illness. It does not mean that people aren't accepting of it or not willing to help you. Friends, family, teachers, coaches. None of them will judge you or look at you any differently. In fact, they'll be glad you told them. The day I let the world in and broke down to my parents on a shitty rainy night in November 2012 was rock bottom. But it was also the day that I began my marathon return to genuine happiness. It may be tougher to speak out. It most certainly is scarier, but in the long run, it'll be easier and the most fulfilling thing you will ever do. Often we think being brave is going it alone. But opening up and telling someone, now that truly is the brave fight. Do that and I promise you, it won't be long until a smile returns.
1: As wise as the day you wrote it, Cormac. Hmm. For forgot how long it was. <laughs> I actually haven't. I haven't. I actually haven't ever heard that. Um, heard it back. I actually hadn't. I actually forgot what I had in it. It's been so long since um, since we even looked at it. That was what three years. Three years ago. Three. Long yeah. Ago. Like, yeah. Actually, longer than three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I actually. I kind of forgotten what I put in it. I suppose it's kind of surreal hearing someone. Um, kind of read it back almost yeah Um. i suppose the one thing that strikes me is that i haven't really changed a lot of my opinions and stuff haven't really changed i suppose some of my terminology that i might use now is probably a bit different but a lot of the actual fundamental materials and messages in it even now three years later very similar the one thing that kind of struck me there when you were reading it is um i think i said i still struggle every now and then and there's not a day I don't have to beat away a negative thought. Three years later, it's still the same. Like yeah, no, in, not I don't mean that in a negative form, but in, in a positive form that no, it, it still carries with you. That it's still kind of you still carry it with you in that small way. It was just funny. Uh, it was a funny experience. Now yeah, um, I'd forgotten a lot of what was in it.
0: Yeah, well, you're you're obviously mindful enough to be able to acknowledge that there are negative thoughts coming into your mind. You know, if if you told me that, oh, you know. I don't experience negative negative thoughts every every day. Now I'd be like, oh, then there's something up because you're probably not in tune with your own consciousness to be able to realize that you are, or you know, you're, there's something missing there. So that's ironically the fact that you still realize that you still have negative thoughts in your head every day. It's almost a good thing because you're
1: able to address it then. Yeah, I'm. Pro- I am very, I'm very self aware like extremely self-aware maybe too much sometimes i'd be very conscious of probably more conscious about what's going on in my own head than than like i'd be quite naive some sometimes socially in terms of picking up on things that would go on in a social, social situation but then i'd be extremely kind of aware of myself and what's going on in my own head and yeah it does like i think i think it's human nature to have negative thoughts i think if anyone it's like um i can't remember it was brian o'driscoll or someone was interviewed once and they said um no one is truly one hundred has no one truly has one hundred percent confidence in themselves. It's not real. I think he was talking about Conor McGregor or something like that. Yeah, and I think he was basically stating that it's not possible for him to have one hundred percent, like sheer confidence in himself yeah. without doubt. Yeah, I think I think that, and I think it's probably true. It's Broner Driscoll's. I think it was so Driscoll who said it, he was greatest rugby player we've ever had. Yeah, and he even said it. Doubt yeah. is was part of human form and human nature, and I think it's the same. We kind of. With any kind of normal person going day to day, I think even still now, three years later, I do have kind of negative thoughts that I that I can manage a whole lot better now, and they don't really cause me any major issues. Ninety nine percent of the time, because I control them, but I do think it's kind of human nature to yeah. to have to have a negative thought about yourself or about your life. Or I think anyone who I think anyone who cannot hand on heart say they don't are extremely lucky or. One they're extremely lucky, or two they're kind of maybe ignoring you. I don't know. I think they might be lying. Yeah,
0: um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I think it, if they're they're either lying or they're or they're they're not aware and they're not maybe in tune with their own emotional experience as maybe as well as they could be. No, I'm I'm not I'm not considering them to be absolutely enlightened when it comes to human thought processes, but it it, it does seem alien. Uh, to me, for someone to not have uh, a negative thought in a day. Maybe it's a
1: gift to not be that self-aware. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's it's funny, like, maybe it is. I look at, at some people and they have this unbelievable ability to to not knock themselves in any situation and that they're just genuinely content going around about day-to-day life. Yeah. And maybe in some ways it's because they don't, maybe they're not overly self-aware of themselves or what's going on but maybe in a, in a messed up sort of way maybe that's a gift too I don't know yeah you, you mentioned you're you're very self-aware and that you might be too self-aware yeah what did you what did you mean by too self-aware I just it's I don't know it's probably like a, it's a it's a kind I probably constantly examine my own thoughts and feelings kind of like it's not just as simple as oh I'm happy it's it's not that simple it's okay, I'm happy, but now why am I happy? Yeah, or it's not as simple as, ah, oh, I'm having a bad day, I'm pissed off. It's, I'm having a bad day, I'm pissed off. Why am I having a bad day and why am I pissed off? Yeah. If, if you can kind of, if you kind of get with me. Mean. I just, I don't know. I just, I, I examine probably every every thought I have and every feeling I have. And then, I, I'm as I said, when that self-awareness, I suppose it can be a gift in some ways because I can see... Ahead, kind of times in a row where maybe a spell of bad form is coming, and I kind of can can kind of catch it early and do something about it, or um, I know by a certain way I'm feeling maybe how how my day might go, and I can do something to kind of to change that. But at the same time, then I think I'm so self aware that it probably doesn't allow me to probably doesn't quite allow me to be content with myself sometimes. Okay. Um,
0: it's, it it sounds like. Uh Really sincere state of mindfulness. Do you know where you're able able to analyse your experience? But maybe it it detracts from um, another type of potential experience. Are you familiar with flow? No. The state of flow, uh, flow is is probably best captured by the idea of somebody who's lost in their work, or uh, you know where uh, imagine an author who's just writing and they're not thinking about writing. You know. their their hand is doing the thing for them. They're just they're lost in that moment. They're lost in a state of flow, and everything just kind of coming together. Um, and athletes would would often uh, talk about a state of flow on the pitch. Like they're not conscious of uh, running or the way they're holding the, their hurl yeah. or, or or catching the slayer. It just it all happens, and it's all very naturalistic. It's a very lived experience that isn't really considered that much, but it's more more something that. Is very naturalistic, so I think it's it's a very it's a very healthy experience, uh, and you often hear creative people talking about it being in a state of flow. Um, and I think it's healthy, and but so is mindfulness. Do you find yourself uh, relating to that state of flow that I described in in any in any aspect yeah. of your life?
1: I don't know. I I think that to me kind of sounds like it's nearly second nature to some people, and that is they kind of just they're able to kind of go with things without kind of thinking i don't know if i'd fit into that bracket because probably nearly every single thing i do there's a massive thought process involved Interesting. Um. to be honest i don't know if i've ever been able to experience that kind of clear mind as such everything i do is probably has massive thought in it everything i plan to do yeah has massive amounts of thought in it um I probably haven't ever quite experienced that. I probably... I probably wish at times I could... that I could probably switch off and allow myself to kind of... Um, to kind of experience something like that. But I actually don't think I do. Um,
0: well, you're... you're a big man for... for sport. You're... Yeah. Uh, uh, you're an athlete. Yeah. Well... Do you, do you experience it on... on the pitch? No. You don't? No. no? Interesting. No. I, th- I don't... I don't, think, don't. Th- I don't think that that's a, a bad thing. Uh, and especially... Now I've known you for, for three years but we've actually only met for the first time today um, but I s- certainly get the impression that although you're now telling me you don't experience a state of flow your mindfulness is, is virtuous it's, a, it's, a, it's very impressive like we, we talked about
1: uh, you know, stressful experiences earlier and But I question is it true mindfulness? True mindfulness is kind of the state of now Okay, that's my understanding of it. Is yeah. that you can be in the present, yeah, and and not kind of be concerned about the past or the future and only focus on the now. Yeah, yeah. I well, that, that I don't know how much of that I really can, can claim to have ever. As much as I would try to do it sometimes and try to be very mindful and meditate the odd time to get my head in check. Yeah. But I don't know how much, how often, day to day, I I could truly put my hand, set heart, and say. I'm I'm very mindful this x amount of the time because more often than not, I think there's something going through through my head that's either from right. the past or the future or, or, refle- or in a re- reflective way. I don't really know. The reason
0: the reason I described uh, your experience as mindful is yeah. because you are con- your your thought process is very considered. You know, you're you're thi- you're you're able to think about. Why a certain feeling is arising, or you know, address like your emotions as as they are, yeah. and that's that's a, a realization. So you're able to consider your actions more appropriately. Yeah. Like to me, that's that's uh, possibly the most important part yeah. of life. I am. So. I am
1: very aware. I am very yeah. aware of everything that goes on in my head. Well, yeah.
0: awareness and mindfulness are, are practically synonyms. Yeah. Now mindfulness is also articulating like living in the now kind of thing and but it's important to be able to realise your past experiences that inform the present moment and realise, you know, that Cormac Ryan is going to exist in 15 minutes time and, you know, how how my current actions and current feelings are going to affect that person mm-hmm. as opposed to the mindless way of, let's say, uh, somebody said something, like slags you off rather than react... i real angry... Yeah. you know... that's... you know... that's kind of more... in tune with that... flow state... that I was talking about... but it's not a healthy place... to be in... Yeah. so... it seems like... if there's a... if there's a continuum... of conscious experience... which on one side is flow... and another state is mindful... you're really in that space... and you don't really cross... cross over into the... the flow state... which... to my... based on my intuition... Is is a it's a, not that necessarily bad a thing. Now my intuitions aren't to be trusted, but it's it's I I think that's pretty interesting. I don't know.
1: It's funny. Like I think it's funny. A lot of times you hear people who kind of are interested in this kind of same area as we are, and you no know, more than yourself. And so you're probably very well versed in a lot of the concepts and theories and kind of fundamental science behind it. It, it to be honest it's it's funny it's one side of the whole thing that's never really interested me and I suppose that's probably why I don't quite have a great understanding of exactly what flow and mindfulness are because I actually don't ever really do a huge I've never really done a huge amount of reading up on, yeah, yeah. on these type of things but then when someone actually discusses with them with me and gets into them I'm like oh okay so that's what that is Right? Yeah. yeah. it's funny it's funny how how it's never that side of things has never really intrigued me, but then um, when I suppose when someone discusses what these things actually are, I've experienced most of them. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I suppose in, in that sort of sense, you are right. Um. I suppose maybe I am quite mindful. Well, my listen, my um,
0: my degree of understanding of psychological states is virtually non-existent. I'm kind of a, a, a hobby psychologist. If if, <laughs> if if that was a thing, you know. Um, I love I love the description. Uh that some people give themselves of an armchair philosopher and i'm a bit of an armchair philosopher so i just i read some random stuff and some of it goes in some of it goes out and sometimes it sounds like i know what i'm talking about but that can be (laughs) quite misleading at times but um it's i think it's good it's good to uh, talk to talk about our conscious experience and you don't have to be an expert to talk about like you know i just have a i have a a little, an extra couple of words, like flow. You've never heard the word flow before, but you understood exactly what I was talking about. You know, it's it's no. I you don't have to be an expert to understand these concepts. It's just they can be I was alien until they're explained. Well,
1: so that's the other thing. Like, who's the true expert? Is the true expert the one who has never experienced it but has read it all out of a book and can tell you every theory and guideline and and concept, or is the true expert the one who's never read about it but has experienced all of it?
0: Yeah, exactly. And and I think you know, I um what i value about in in my in my in myself isn't that i have a degree in neuroscience it, it, that that's virtually useless like that's n- like nothing it it sounds fancy but it is not it's just a random it's another random undergraduate degree that everyone else has done and it's no big deal you know what i value about what i most value about my past experience my experience is my lived experience, like the mm. the things that I encountered and the difficulties that I faced and have been able to overcome with the help of other people, that's what's valuable. Not the piece of paper which says, you know, BSc honors Pat McKeown, whatever. That is that does not indicate any level of intellect that I have yeah. or any level of information I might have. What I, the value that I would bring to a table, I feel, is more in terms of. Like my experiences with emotional distress and um, the tools I've learned to kind of mm-hmm. overcome them and um, the struggles I've had and the the kind of health stories I've had. Then, like this, I suppose some of the success stories I've had. You know, the academic academic side or the learning side isn't that important. Um, but anyway, so getting back to your emotional experience, mm. you. Came to light to me in an article in the Independent, mm-hmm. and I rediscovered today on rereading subsequent articles that it came about by chance. Yeah, pure chance. Uh, tell us, tell us a bit about that story um, for people who are co- just kind of
1: coming to know you. Today. I suppose at the time I was trying to organise a charity event called Cycle for Life, which was basically go. Long story short, go a cycle around the country and raise awareness for. Of cardiac and of cardiac issues primarily primarily in some money for cardiac charities um that was all kind of subsequent um as a result of me getting diagnosed with a heart condition a few years back so anyway um met this journalist um who was MC and event i was at and he just said oh look i'd love to do a piece which is something independent give i think what you're doing is great give that a bit of a push grant met up with him out in the red cow hotel a few weeks later and again the idea was just talk about the cycle talk about probably GA hurling um, getting back playing with Dublin or whatever what I was doing now and then basically a bit of a promo article um, and at the time he kind of just said made a pass remark and he just said towards well what was meant to be the end of I don't know whatever the half hour piece we'd done he said oh just didn't you do great didn't you bounce back great from the heart condition and look at you now you're back playing with Dublin and Blah blah blah, and for whatever reason, something that phrase had kind of been thrown at me several times over the past few previous few months, and it never really sat well with me. So I just I don't know something clicked inside me. I said, Right, fuck this. Do you want Do you want to know Do you want to know the real The real story is such not the. Kid gets a heart condition, doesn't play hurling for a year, drops out of college, comes back, plays hurling with Dublin, cycles around the country. Not that story, but the real story, not just the physical one. So I kind of opened up to him and said, look, this is what's really been going on. I've been a nightmare to live with, blah, blah, blah. I've went through a lot of kind of mental health issues, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, um, and kind of just showed him the real me of that previous two years, and kind of took him by surprise i kind of think i took myself by surprise by actually just opening up to him and kind of coming out with all this i had no intention of doing it and at the end of it he said jesus right that's impressive kind of he reckons he could have an impressive piece out of that he said are you sure you want me to put this out there and i just said you know what fuck this i'm sick of um i'm sick of the oh aren't you great lines." when really I was a nightmare to live with, with for my parents and i'd been it had been by no means easy and it had been a horrifically tough two, three years so it's just like right you know what throw it out there um, and yeah I went out on Sunday independent in 2014 and it got a bit of a reaction and I suppose that's kind of ultimately how three, four years later I kind of just fell into the whole kind of area of kind of mental health and well-being yeah exactly I just kind of accidentally just kind of fell into the thing and then of course after that the cycle event that I was getting ready for obviously then took on a kind of a new form. It wasn't just about kind of raising awareness of cardiac conditions, obviously because of what I had just come out with and the reaction it had gotten. It took on a kind of a form about kind of um, positive mental health and well-being type thing. So yeah, so that's kind of how I just kind of fell into it really.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned earlier to me now that that was... When you went public yes. with your story, so we, so to speak, yeah, you had shared your struggles with your immediate family and friends before that
1: point. Yeah, how how did that happen how How did you open up first? Like at that like? at that stage when, when that article came out in the Sunday Independent, to be honest, I was relatively back on track. Yeah, in my life, um, I kind of I'd come a long way. A lot of people had really looked after me. Um. That was October 2014, I got sick in February 2012, so it was two and a half years later. So it was that kind right. of intervening two and a half years period that had been pretty rough. By October 2014, when that came out in the Sunday Independent, I was relatively back on track, don't get me wrong, I still had bad days, but I was back in college, I would kind of shed a bit of weight that I put on, I was back hurling, I was back playing football, I was found a really Great new group of mates in college. Um, I kind of just kind of come back to my old self and was kind of in a happy place again. Um, so everything was kind of, everything was kind of falling back into place. To be honest, um, but that interview, that previous two and a half years, I suppose, as you said, that was, that was probably the hard part. Um, well, no, it was the hard part. It was it was the toughest part. Um, and I suppose, how how, how did I kind of end up there, it was really just a pretty personal battle, me, um, family, friends I suppose, I got sick in February 2012, Um, and probably there was probably a a six month period there where probably it was a pretty kind of individual battle completely, there wasn't really not to say there was no external help. It was a completely wrong thing to say there was. There was massive support there. But I wasn't kind of... I was allowing the support on a physical level. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't yeah. allowing it on a kind of... There was no uh, outward expression. Yeah, there I was no outward expression from for me. Point. It w- it would have been facilitated if I had given it. But I, I wasn't. Yeah. It was six months where I wasn't. One, I probably actually didn't realise I needed to do it. And two, I didn't really know what was going on in my own head. Yeah. My I probably wasn't comfortable in doing it anyway. Like I got out of hospital at the end of February 2012... Um, my grandfather passed on the 4th of April 2012 which was about 5 weeks after Um, I think I saw him once in those last 7 or 8 weeks because he was I actually remember at one stage I was upstairs in coronary care and he was downstairs in a in a trolley of pneumonia hospital and I, there was me feeling physically fine and he yes. was downstairs on a trolley with an pneumonia so I actually only saw him once in those last 5 or 6 weeks and at that stage he kind of deteriorated to the point where he didn't actually I don't know, he was so pumped with meds and fluids or whatever, he didn't really know who I was. um. So that was kind of a tough end in losing him because he had lived with us ever since I was a kid. Like He's always lived with us. He was, basically, he was like another parent in a way. He was just always kind of around the place. Um. So then he passed in April. May, I had a complication with my pacemaker um, and had to get another procedure done on it. And then in August, I had shoulder surgery. So I was kind of in and out. I wasn't just physically and it was in a really bad way. And mentally in a bad way for kind of that six-month period. So I I was only 19, kind of just turning 19 that April. So I don't think I really was able to process a lot of what was going on. It was the first time in life that I'd been properly challenged, I suppose, as such. Okay. Um, In a way, like, I can't ever say that I had a difficult upbringing. Kind of okay. Ever. Yeah. And um, we never wanted for anything. and Not that we were spoiled or anything, but like... We never wanted training, I had a great upbringing. So I, no, it was the first time in my life that I'd ever probably really been challenged as such. So I probably didn't even realise. I got out of the hospital and I thought everything was fine and then over the next few months everything obviously wasn't fine but it probably took me till the summer to realise what was actually going on. Yeah. Um, I thought I was probably, I don't really know what I thought was going on from kind of February when I got sick up until kind of May, June. Yeah, I was just kind of going through the motions. And gradually my form was dipping and gradually I was um not looking after myself and I was becoming more kind of um introverted and kinda drawing myself away and losing motivation to do things, losing desire to do things. Um and I guess I was only nineteen, I'd never experienced anything like that. It probably took me a few months to actually realise my own head. Fuck wait, there's I'm not right. in my own head at the moment i'm not feeling i'm not actually feeling good about myself or life or anything and then that summer was particularly bad because i i I usually worked a summer job and they kind of just said look look, don't do anything just basically take summer off and do nothing but it's probably the worst thing i could have done because i basically ended up sitting in this house yeah for three or four months sleeping in late staying up late not sleeping just up late kind of me and my thoughts mostly negative ones um me and my kind of my tears i suppose for three or four months and it kind of just spiraled that summer put on a lot of weight, kind of withdrew myself wasn't obviously playing sport wasn't in college wasn't working i basically was doing nothing the whole summer yeah i'm basically spending yeah. large parts of the day in bed and kind of and large parts of the night sitting up late not doing anything so i suppose in that kind of sense i spiraled and it was probably that at that time where i probably realized um what was actually going on in my own head um, I probably had an understanding way. I'm probably, I'm probably a bit depressed here. Um, Might have even known it was depression, but I just knew I wasn't happy. That was the yeah. bit. I knew I wasn't happy. I didn't know what it was, but I knew I wasn't happy. Yeah. Um, I probably didn't have any enough awareness of all those things or what those words meant, but I just knew I was not happy, and that yeah. I was really upset and gutted. I suppose about it. I don't know what, but I just was not happy in life and did not want to be here. It's the only way I could describe it. Yeah. Um, and I suppose I kept that type of thing to myself for a long time probably that somewhere I wasn't happy in my own skin and didn't really know what was going on and didn't really say much to anyone kind of are you feeling alright yeah I'm fine I'm fine yeah kind of just denying a lot of it really and then I think it just kept going and going I think it was kind of November-ish then 2012 I think I, I don't know I can't even remember what set it off I just remember coming home and snapping and um, I just burst out crying I just was like right I need to do something here yeah, probably it just built up, and I hadn't really told told anyone. I probably I can't even remember now. I probably said it to one or two of my friends that I was struggling coming to terms with what had happened and stuff like that. But again, I didn't really I didn't know if I was depressed or anxious or what. Well, I just knew I wasn't happy, and I just knew I didn't particularly have any motivation or love of life or anything like that. And I just I didn't know what to do about it, and it kind of just yeah ended up kind of just six whatever maybe longer eight nine months later kind of just built up and i just kind of i don't know snapped yeah kind of, and kind so of broke down
0: at that point so your your friends were the first people you opened yeah, up yeah i think
1: so because it took me to kind of november mom and dad knew what was going on like they had yeah. seen their son stay like they'd come down several times in the middle of the night that's when i found me up like crying like and they knew what was going on they knew i wasn't dealing with the whole thing well um i had never openly acknowledged it with them I suppose yes. um, yeah I I think what I, at the time what I passed it off a lot with them was oh I'm I'm afraid my heart's gonna because it was a heart condition and I ended up with the pacemaker I think a lot of the time when they used to come down and find me in that conditioner if they if they came down and found me still up late at three in the morning and I said I couldn't sleep I think I pal- it off oh I'm afraid I'm afraid to go to sleep I'm afraid my heart will stop or something like that yeah when in truth I knew that that scientifically wasn't going to happen I had a pacemaker in there that wasn't going to happen in truth it was I was completely miserable and unhappy in life and I right. suppose that's probably how I pawned it off to them I'd probably said it to one or two of my friends that I wasn't feeling great and that I was feeling pretty low Um, in that period but I suppose until I kind of acknowledged it with my parents they knew what was going on but it probably took that 7-8 months for me to actually yeah. kind of come to terms with it and say jeez um, right, I actually need to tell someone. I probably kept telling myself, I'd be fine, I'd be fine. Just pick yourself up, you'd be fine, you'd be fine. I was never going to be like... I wasn't I wasn't processing any of it. Yeah. I wasn't dealing with any of it. Yeah. I was just trying to get along, but I wasn't.
0: A, a theme that is really prominent in the Independent article, and the the Joe article, and, and no knowing you mm. over that time period, is guilt. Yeah, no. Guilt is a really strong... I suppose, an emotion mm. that, you, that you felt. What was your experience of guilt like and how would you articulate it if now
1: and I suppose rationalise it? Um, experience of guilt was real. That's the first thing I'd say. It was very real. I, I specifically remember one night that summer sitting right there on my laptop and I just googled sudden adult death syndrome and I clicked news on Google. And just reading these newspaper articles of people who had died from, just dropped and been diagnosed, kind of, and been put under that bracket of sudden out of death syndrome. And I just, and then I remember one of the charities, um, one of the charities that um, kind of looks at, that deals with a lot of that stuff had, had kind of like a story section of people who had lost their lives with this little kind of profiles or bios of them almost and i remember just reading them and reading pages of them I specifically remember and that kind of just sums it all up but about what type of i was just reading them and still to this day i probably i come across as quite a confident um confident individual but in, in reality I'm, I'm i'm far from it like i'm um i probably devalue myself quite a lot um and kind of play down anything positive i do to to play it down, um. So I suppose in that sense, that kind of I've always had that personality trait. I'd say, um, and that probably just exacerbated the guilt even more because I kind of took the approach, "Why did I? I'm useless. Why did I deserve to to live and not and not be taken by this?" Um. So the guilt was was a, it was genuine. It wasn't me being dramatic. It was it was completely genuine, um, and it was very real, um, and it lasted for a long, long time. Um, lasted for a few years. Probably, I don't think now I feel guilty. I won't say now I feel guilty, but even whatever a week or two ago, the Italian, your man, the Italian fella from was it Fiorentina, the captain. He, sure. he um, a story was his name, David Astori or something like that. I think he was he was Sampdoria or Fiorentina, or one of these Italian clubs. He. He dropped during a match or during training there he was only 30 something and it was sudden out of death syndrome and um, that was only about two weeks ago and two three weeks ago and I I wouldn't say I felt any major source of guilt I like it was horrific and I was like this is I was more sort of grateful that like I didn't suffer a similar fate but at the same time it wasn't any massive sort of guilt but at, at the same time it still registers with me six years later I'm kind of like hmm why why didn't that why didn't I, I go that way or, or or why am I the one that's here and he's yeah. not and every time you hear one of those stories it, it does register I me mean, I won't say I'm guilty now anymore time I suppose it's it's cliche but time is a healer it probably took three or four years for that kind of genuine sense of guilt to properly leave me um, but for a long time it was very real um, and it kind of just it manifested itself as I'd hear a story or, or someone who who wasn't so lucky that had passed, and it would, the way it would manifest itself, it would literally just in a messed up sort of way just make me, me feel absolutely useless about myself, Jeez. even further. Yeah, that's mad. So. Because
0: you, you know, you definitely strike me as a confident person, like you said. But you know, you, in, in your own mind, you you're not you're, you no. don't feel that no. confident, um, and. You have well a lot, a lot of you add a lot of value like to society. You you give you give talks to school about your emotional experiences over the years, and uh, it's particularly about that time. And you've um, you've done the cycle for life, which raised significant awareness and money for ca- for cardiac issues and sudden adult death syndrome. And so it's 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 obvious to me that you know if you did die. I would be at a sincere loss as would many other people be because like I said at the beginning you serve a sincere inspiration for everything I do which I hope is
1: useful. Um, but yeah I It's funny It's funny though someone said it to me once like they were like in a way that guilt was a good thing and I kind of looked at it and I was like in what way was that a good thing it made me feel shit for three or four years and the reality is that guilt was what drove me to to do the cycle for life and kind of create that initiative and do the two cycles especially the first one like the, the first the first cycle was a massively selfish thing to do in terms of uh, i might say i'm a ridiculous thing too but i the first cycle for life and the big and most successful one that we did in 2013 was done purely to help me deal with this constant sense of guilt i had Purely like someone asked me now why at the time why I was doing it. Oh, I was doing it to raise awareness of these issues and save the world. One man on his bike trying to change the world, like type of yeah. thing. Um, aren't you great? But reality is, I purely did. I, I, I was like, I need to do something here because this guilt is eating me up. I need to try and make myself feel some way better. Sorry, um, and that's completely what it was. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. Someone said to me in a weird, in a weird sort of way. Maybe it was a good thing, but definitely. I won't say more so than an anxiety attack or feeling really low. Um, I won't say more, but it was equally as debilitating as any of those feelings that I've experienced. That guilt was just, it was raw and it was real um, and it stayed with me for a long, long time. And even now, I won't say I feel any great sense of guilt anymore because time has allowed it. But there's always that little, that little tiny, like a little pinprick when you hear that kind of when you hear those stories one you feel unbelievably sorry to hear them two you feel unbelievably grateful that you're still here and three there's just kind of that little pinprick actually that stage with you for the rest of that day that's just yeah. prodding you a little bit
0: man I my experience of guilt would be a bit different to your own in, in that uh, thankfully I've, I've never suffered any uh, sincere physical health issues Um, but so I was bereaved with my dad when I was mm-hmm. three, and um, my mother raised. I was the youngest of four; she raised us all. And like, understandably, there was financial stresses, you know, moving house and stuff. And I felt guilty for being born, basically, <laughs> yeah. because I understood like the <laughs> I was doing the math in my head of like. Yeah, four children's more expensive than three children,
1: uh, and no. some people would say you're, ridi- you're you're absolutely ridiculous to even feel that way. Yeah. Some people would say that, but it's not. It's a very real thing. It's a, yeah, it is it's an extremely saying, real thing.
0: It's really, like it's it's not.
1: Um, it's slightly irrational, but, but it's it, real.
0: It is. It's you know just because it's irrational doesn't mean that the exactly. experience isn't real. You know, uh, I think that people underplay things. By saying, "Oh, it's just in your mind, or it's just in your head." Yeah, well, my mind is how I experience reality, so exactly. it's 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 real. That to is me, real, you know.
1: Um, and you had to say, "You,
0: I, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's sim- similar, similar, experience similar experience to guilt, guilt, like you know, uh, I like I I it's like an, I shouldn't be here, you know, because of just for other reasons, but a similar kind of end result of I shouldn't be here." So um, that I think that's a common a common experience that people will feel in one way or another yeah. obviously your experience is very very distinct um, having suffered the, the heart block and getting the pacemaker and, and getting the pacemaker redone and, and then obviously being so acquainted with the, uh, people losing their lives uh, yeah. in the same circumstances you didn't and you used the phrase uh, selfish to describe your first event and yeah. um, I don't it, it, it was it was self-indulgent and um, and it was uh, but, but I think it was ultimately ther- was, it, was it therapeutic in the end? Was it, was it, was it a was it useful uh, was, exercise in what, making you feel better?
1: Was it therapeutic? That's a good question. I actually don't know looking back I don't know how therapeutic it was and I'll tell you why because one I was 19 years old it was the cycle started exactly 14 months kind of after I was diagnosed with this condition 13 months even so after there's six months after I'd gotten sick and I got the pacemaker I decided I was going cycling around the country and then it left me with six or seven months to organize it so I was 19 years old, I wasn't in a good headspace whatsoever, I decided I was taking on this massive project, um, which I would be pretty much the sole person running it, don't get me wrong, I got massive help from friends, cousins, family, they were brilliant, Which and I couldn't have done it without them. but I was still the sole person driving this, um, put myself under massive pressure to, for it to be a success. success. Um, Built myself up to it. It became my life, um, and then afterwards, I hit this massive slump. Afterwards, for probably a month or two, probably two months, where I was from the moment to finished to the day or two after, I hit this massive slump afterwards because I built myself so much up, and every single bit of happiness had been pinned on it. And I was like, "This is it. This is what's going to fix me." Yeah, Check how could it fix me? I still wasn't dealing with any emotional processes that were going on in my head. This was. So was it therapeutic? I don't know, Pat. Um, I probably don't think it was overly therapeutic. Right. <laughs> That's all right. Um, if I'm being brutally honest, don't get me wrong at the time when I was doing it in those 10 days when the amount of goodwill that was there and the amount of goodwill in the few months before and just after it were incredible. And it did give me a good sense of, okay, I'm doing well here. I'm trying to make really something really positive out of this negative event. And it was undoubtedly easing that guilt I had. But would I describe it as the word therapeutic? I don't know. The second one in twenty fifteen, when I was in a genuinely, he- really really healthy headspace, and I was in a genuinely content and happy time in my life, and I was de- and it took much more effort to do it the second time because there wasn't near as much personal gain to be had from it. I think that was therapeutic. Yeah, I could actually sit back and enjoy the whole process, even the cycle itself, to ten days. Or I, I remember. One of my cousins who did the first one with me, he did the second one and um, out of the two cycles and whatever, the 13 or 14 lads who, who did the two cycles, um, who, who did one of the two cycles, there was about 13 or 14 over the two years, I think me and Stephen were the only two who, who did them both, if I'm correct, I hope I'm not leaving someone out but I think we were the only two who okay. did the two of them and did the whole of them. Um, I remember the two of us actually saying how much more we enjoyed the second one, and I remember saying it to him. I've oh, I've just the second one has been done for such more genuine intake. and there was much more in- I always say there was much more integrity in the second one, I and mean, because there was much more integrity, you in know, I actually even though I probably didn't need the benefit of it in any way as much, I found yeah. it a lo- I found the second one a lot more therapeutic and real, and just a real genuine experience. Yeah. First one, I don't know. I just. Built myself up so much, and then I came crashing and burning down ah, afterwards. Yeah. It was used as a way to mask all the problems that were still going on in my head, if you know what I mean. Yes. Um, yes. So I don't know how therapeutic it really was. Yeah.
0: You're very self-critical, which is which is interesting. Like you you flagellate yourself quite a bit, like in uh, with, with you know. I I listen. I, I do the same myself. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying you're a bollocks. You're fucking flagellating <laughs> yourself all the time. Um, but. Uh, I, I, you do a, a lot of good, and I, you mentioned earlier the idea of the value in yourself, and I think it's good that you realise it, um, because the work you have done and do is of significant importance. Do, you, do you appreciate that, like in in your own on your on in your own day to day life, mm. or are
1: you are you very do you, do you feel harsh in yourself or? It's funny because I know deep down in the back of my head that I am quite harsh on myself, um, but at the same time, I remain harsh on myself, and it's not like I don't in purposely and consciously do it. Uh, there's just something in me that, and I don't know what it is. I I I struggle. One of the biggest struggle I have is kind of, um is getting a balance right between I constantly want to better myself and keep challenging myself and do things that challenge me um but I really struggle to find a balance between doing those things and how often I do them and then being able to just be content with normal life um and be content with the ordinary and be truly content with the ordinary um and I think that kind of I think it probably fits in with a lot of what I, a lot of what you were saying there in terms of, like, I, I don't really give myself credit for a huge amount. Um, like, I always say it, and it's probably a bit of an unfair thing to say, but people say, oh, she's so you're busy with the Masters, or, jeez, that's a big challenge. And I'm like, well, is it really? Like, education is something that... Third-level education in Ireland is something that probably, I don't know, maybe 80% of young people do. I don't know. I don't, a a lot, you know what I mean? A much, lot of people, young people yeah. do... Masters are now a fairly relatively common thing that yeah. a lot of percentage of people have to do now. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's a, it's a real flippant thing to say, but I don't look at it as an achievement. I don't look at me doing my Masters in physio and UCD as any sort of an achievement whatsoever. Yeah, It's something we all have to do. Education is something we all have to do. It's a means to an end. We all have to do it to get where we want to go. Yeah. So it might be a, a terrible thing to say and for people who really give their heart and soul to it, which I do I still commit myself fully to my master's and to study and I still work my ass off but I don't look at it as an achievement Um so and that probably carries over to and I, that, that I am genuine when I say that and I've said it to people they say I genuinely don't look at it as an achievement um, and that probably carries over to stuff I do and the stuff I do in schools or the stuff I've probably done with the cycles like the way I kind of look at say the talks in the schools and and the kind of mental health awareness stuff and stuff you, things you might speak at or or whatever I'm like if I wasn't doing them well then kind of what am I doing right um, so that's the, for it, you that's f- from what you
0: get the most more meaning from
1: yeah I'm kind of just like well, like it's kind of like nearly like there's an onus on, on you to do it like I think if like, you know what I mean? I, I think you kind of have to do it. Like, if, if I've put that stuff out there and then someone... um, And now I'm kind of t- doing talks in schools, like, there's an onus on me to continue doing that. I don't think I deserve credit for doing that. I think it's kind of just... Okay. I don't know. It's like I, a responsibility thing. You yeah, do. it's so, like yeah. a responsibility thing to do it. And I don't know. I I, I probably don't. And that's probably where, I where, as I said earlier, I struggle most between finding the balance. Like, I, I got this wacky idea in my head... T- just before Christmas that I was going to cycle across America in 2019. It's something I've always wanted to do. I've, I've The concept of cycling across the States is something I've always wanted to do. I just love the concept of the challenge of it, the terrain, the heat, um, the deserts, the mountains, um, just the sheer vastness of America. Yeah, um,
0: Would that be in, in Ram in Race
1: Across America or is this just a... Not a just me on my own. wouldn't even be in Ram. Just yeah. me. And, yeah, just kind of as, I don't know, a fundraiser or whatever. Yeah. But nice. Then I was kind of like before Christmas I had this hell bent in my head that I was doing it and the reason then I kind of thought about it a bit more and a few people close to me kind of one person in particular very close to me kind of said well, like why are you doing it? and I said because I just I want to challenge myself I need to challenge myself again and they said yeah it's great and it's really admirable that, that you want to challenge yourself but you're already challenging yourself enough like you're you're flat out with the masters, you're playing hurling football, you're senior hurling captain with the club, you're you're coaching Dublin hurling teams, you're doing talks in school. They were like, in my eyes that's enough. Like that's loads to be doing. You don't need to be anymore. And I turned around and said, I'm not really none of them are really achievements and they're kinda looking at me like (laughs) fit to hit me, being like, You're doing all right. Like and I think that's where I struggled most is I, I can't at the time give myself the credit for the things I am doing. And it's always like, I need to be doing more. And it's that fine line between pushing yourself and wanting to make the most of yourself and, and be the best you that you yeah. can be. But then also being able to, at the same time, just be content with what you are doing and give yourself that right. bit of credit for yeah. what you are doing. And I still struggle to lean towards that side massively. And it's know. a co- it's a constant battle.
0: Yeah, I think, well, there's, there's something admirable about your approach to your lifestyle in that you're you really really emanate humility, like I I think humility is a is a, is a brilliant thing. Like not not your your ego isn't huge, but, and you're like, I'm the boy, I'm the I'm the captain of my senior hurling team. And I'm doing a masters, and UCD UCD is so good. You know what is
1: it though? Is it really? Is there an underlying egotistical thing there within me that says? And I kind of look at, I said it to that person literally only a week or two ago. I said, remember that idea I had about cycling across America, the one you kind of shot down or that i needed a bit of a reality check on and they were like yeah and i was like you were right i was like you were you were right at this present time it's not what i need and i would have been doing it for the wrong reasons and i actually used the line i was probably doing it a bit more to to kind of massage the ego in that was i that's kind of what i said was i doing it a bit more to massage right. the ego was i doing it for the reason of oh i need to challenge myself and prove yeah. that i can do it prove that i can do this and this is the way my mind works i would never like myself to be referred to as egotistical and i'd hate if anyone ever did think i was egotistical but deep down in my own mind was that concept of that challenge and wanting to push myself in that way was that an egotistical thing i
0: don't i don't think so i think uh, the the better of 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 an individual, the, the the motivation to do that. I I don't necessarily think that's an, an egotistical thing. You you want to challenge, you yeah. want to overcome a challenge. You want to you know kind of see if you can do it, and and uh, you want to do the training, go through go through the process, and at the end yes. have a sense of accomplishment. Diesel, I yeah. I I don't like. It's not as if you're. Uh,
1: preaching to everybody how how great you are
0: you know i, I think i think that that's an egotistical thing and this there, is and mi- this has. is
1: me and this is this is my head yeah, this yeah, is I, I, my the, inner headspace coming out now that's, in in yeah. all its dilemmas this is this is me day to day that's that's the
0: i think there there are two things there uh c- competing there's a few a few uh, uh, character traits competing against each the other there your your self critical nature uh you know your humility, uh, but your desire for for high achievement. You know you you're, you you like to challenge yourself, and to be honest, I be I be quite similar. In I'm not you know, proud of my degree, or anything. And yeah. um, when I look back and my achievements, I'm like, oh, they could have been so much better. And when I look, when I kind of when I look to the future, I know that I can do greater things. So I I I don't I. I'd like to think anyway that I don't think that I'm the bite, you know, I don't think I'm great. I just understand that I have great potential just like everybody else and I feed off characters like yourself, like yourself who ha- who have accomplished lots of things in my eyes and I try to use and use that energy to Invest into different different things I want to do in the future. So, I I, I don't think it's an egotistical thing because you're not a box, you know. I, I it's it's fairly it's fairly obvious to me that you're not a box. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's. But you have the humility to think, "Geez, I might be a box."
1: Yeah, and yeah, I do a to- Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. So, so, so yeah, you've caught it. You've nailed on the head there.
0: So, so well, I. I do think sometimes that I'm a box, and it kind of keeps me in check. And I I feel like that's a good thing. Now listen, like I said earlier, I'm no authority on anything like this but I do, I I find that admirable. Now maybe, <laughs> we share a lot of similarities and in many ways we have mirrored experience. Yeah. So maybe when I'm hearing you speaking I'm just thinking, yeah, yeah, you are a legend just like me. <laughs> you know, I hope that's not the case <laughs> but... I do think that the, you you do have some some admirable traits there, and I would, uh, I suppose, from an interpersonal level, I'd love to see the you know the self flagellating tendencies maybe toned down a bit, and the self critical yeah. tendencies toned down because you know you are you're you're, you're doing you're doing some good stuff. Um, I don't know, like I don't know, it,
1: it's I don't know if I don't know if self critical is the right word because I don't. I don't massively beat myself up about stuff. I do have a relatively good level of self-compassion and I do show myself a good bit, of, a relative amount of self-compassion. So I don't necessarily... It's not that I necessarily absolutely nail my stuff, nail myself on things that go wrong, but I definitely don't give myself the pat on the back for, for, for things I do well. Okay. And there's probably somewhere in between yeah, um, sure.
0: Again, to use another cliche, how often people say you, know, you have to balance all, all these things. Um, but again, bringing bringing it back to emotional experiences, I know you suffered. Um, I wouldn't say maybe. I, I, from my understanding, it wasn't a mental breakdown in the, in the classical sense, but there were times where you broke down. Um, emotionally, and you know, you find yourself in tears and um, kind of in, in a in a state of maybe of, of hopelessness. And um, have have you experienced any kind of distinct, distinct emotional emotional times of of a similar salience in the past few years? Um,
1: kind of more recent times. Yeah, in in the, um, in the past. Few I years. think I think the key. W- with me and again, it's probably more kind of. I've realised this over past years. I was extremely, I was extremely, extremely lucky, um, with kind of everything over the last five or six years. Like, uh, my my whole experience was massively reactionary. It was massively reactionary. It probably in some way, way wasn't. I don't know how to describe it. An authentic form of depression or anxiety and I kind of hate saying that because in my eyes and I always say in schools what you experience is real and it's your Everest at that time and it is very real to you I I can hand on heart say I never had a genuine suicidal thought I can hand on heart say I never sat here wondering why I was depressed or why I was having anxiety attacks I always knew the underlying reason why which was my primary organ that keeps me alive doesn't function as it should and that leaves you with a massive amount of fear I was 18 years old I didn't we- deal with it well it absolutely destroyed my confidence um destroyed kind of any sort of sense of wor- self-worth or so se- um that I had um and I kind of always had this fear in the back of my head geez I'm physically I'm not the way I should be like and it is a genuine fear when you get told you're heart at 18 is in function the way it should be it is a genuine fear but all those things i knew why i became quite depressed i knew why i experienced low mood and depressive symptoms i knew why i was having anxiety attacks um, and panic attacks and um, it was all related back to those things that i just said so in that sense i was extremely lucky i have massive and don't get me wrong they were my everest and for me to get over them and bounce back to what i did i'm genuinely proud of now but for for those people who who don't really know why or can't figure out why these things came along, um, they're the people that I have massive, massive kind of one sympathy for, and then two, if, when they come out to the side respect for it because in my head, I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom what that is like. Yeah. So and you know, it's it's funny. I think you're. I could not fathom what that is like. So then, when you ask, "What about now? Have I had any of them?" Yes, I have, and I've had day, my my bad weeks and days, and and I don't know if you want to use the term breakdowns or whatever. But again, all those times I can re- I could relate them back to something. There was something I could relate it back to.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny. I think so. I don't know. I, I think you're you're definitely devaluing your experience there. I I I think because you. You described your experiences as maybe not as authentic experiences of anxiety or depression. But
1: they were authentic to me, but were they as raw or as? But on the on the you know it
0: it it's it's not a it's not a comparative game. No, it's not know, completely, ex- and exactly. it's one thing
1: I'd always preach to, to if I'm in school. You're 100, percent and I'd always say, I'm, I'm going against my own advice here because yeah, I always say it in school, yeah. I say whatever it is that is your thing that. Gets you that is real to you and that is your. Ever- I always say that. Yeah. But yeah, I probably don't take my own advice. Yeah, there, it's funny. Listen, it's I, not a comparative game. You're
0: right. I, I I do I do the exact same thing. I have great ideas when I well, <laughs> I have lofty ideas when it comes to having nothing to hide and total disclosure mm-hmm. and being absolutely forthcoming <laughs> uh, in my in my speech and in it in my in my conversations, and sometimes I fail, which is. Human nature that we don't take our own advice and that we don't go with that, that. It's human nature that we don't take our own advice, so that's all right for a start. That you know, that you're a walking, talking contradiction, yeah. Everybody is, yeah. I think, and if you, and again, if you say you're not, you're probably lying or you're some omnipotent creature which doesn't exist, anyway. Um, so you're experiences like you said are yours but they are certainly relatable even though I'm lucky enough not to have a heart condition we have very relatable experiences even though you weren't bereft of your father as I should say you lost your father when you retreat we we have again you have very relatable experiences with me and we all we all have relatable experiences i had a conversation with and another de- dear friend of mine Connor Cogan there a couple of weeks ago which you heard and you know he he's a an entrepreneur and he works in uh, in craft and he's never he to his, to his own admission there's been nothing of really distinct emotional intensity that he would relate to like a, a something as clinical as major depression yeah. or or something like that but his experiences are relatable, and, and when he does experience difficulty, that's an important thing for him to realise, and other people to realise. You know, it, it, just because you haven't gotten a doctor's cert, which says you are clinically depressed, or you have generalized anxiety disorder, or you are bipolar, like you don't have to have been diagnosed with those things to have a more valuable experience or something. You know, I think your experience is incredibly valuable. And you do yourself and everybody a disservice mm. when you say, "I oh, it's maybe not as authentic as somebody else, well it's react you said it was reactionary in that you suffered with your health. Well, everything is is reactionary. You know, when a person who didn't suffer with their health in their with their health but yet they experience all this emotional turmoil. Well, that's reactionary. It's reactionary, but it might, the reason
1: might be obvious though.
0: The, the reason might be obvious. It's not the same. You know, they might have a genetic predisposition. Yeah. Uh There, there might be a so from, a, from a childhood weird, a weird yeah. relationship yeah. Uh, that they have at the moment. There, there could be you know a, a significant event happening yeah. in their in their childhood. Yeah. You know, so like everything is reactionary, and that doesn't devalue anybody's experience. True. It's, it's everybody's experience is authentic, and it is is worth sharing and divulging, and if somebody is listening to this conversation and is like, Jesus, Connick had a heart block and he had a pacemaker inserted and he had, his pacemaker had to be updated again because it wasn't working right. And that's, a, you know, a one in a hundred of the people who get a pacemaker and nobody gets a pacemaker mm-hmm. at 19. Holy shit. No wonder he's experienced so, such emo- emotional turmoil. Well, you don't have to have had those events in your life to experience emotional trauma they could be totally distinct from that but yeah the end the reaction or the end result could be very very similar and relatable yeah. you know it's on it's on we're, we're all on a shared continuum of human experience I think and there's always something that we can relate to which, oh yeah massively yeah there's a, there's a diversity of experience but yet, there are always little pockets that are that are shared. Corner you know? things
1: that can be related to... It. No, that is very true. Yeah. Um. No, and that is the thing... You're right, I don't... Like, that's the one thing I always, always, always say. One person's molehill is another person's mountain. Like, and it's very true. Um, I probably just don't listen to myself.
0: Yeah.
1: In that regard, enough.
0: But listen, it's... you it, your. You're aware. You're saying I probably don't listen to myself. But, I I know I don't. I'm you know, aware, and and that's, that. The, the fact that you're at least abreast of that is good because you know, at least at least it's something that can be moved, worked through as opposed to ignored because you never knew it in the first place. Yeah. You know, you're able to acknowledge your own, uh, your own weaknesses. Yeah. Um, and 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 that's that's a courageous thing to do. I love the analogy of courage made in your story. Of true courage is letting feeling your genuine experiences, oh, yeah. and then expressing. So it's not the courage isn't expressed in ignorance where you yeah. get on oh, I, with things. Yeah. You know that's 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 just. Ignorance at. it's the test, oh, yeah, yeah. It is you know, the courage is actually experiencing the turmoil and then share it because that is so yeah. difficult. But it's in my experience and talking to people who have struggled, it's always that initial step towards
1: a more healthy sense of emotional well being, just the way whatever way human society decided to frame masculinity and femininity into these brackets and boxes, whatever way it came about. But it was like, and that was the male form. It was be tough. Don't express your emotions and just get up and get on with it. The real kind of old, even there's a generation that are still alive that are very much like the 1940s, 50s, 60s, male country, um, folk and many people I know would fall into that category of just this sheer kind of tough trait and we just get on with things and they just chatting them then when they're 70 or 80 and then it might come out with how tough their life was and it was well how did you deal with that at the time oh we didn't should we just what could you do about yeah. it we have to get up again I just detest I detest the way that that became the kind of norm, and I'm glad that it is changing now. It's you know, funny how slow, it, how slow it still is in yeah. changing. Well, that's you know the the thing that you described is, is is archaic, and
0: should be kind of there should be a pushback against yeah. that. Um there is a stoicism of, I suppose, an, an, an older generation, which is which is admirable though as well. In that, I think in some cases, not in all cases, but in some cases, there are people who were just were quite removed from the emotional intensity of certain experiences that they actually didn't suffer uh, to the extent where someone in the present they had they had those experiences yeah. would because there was uh, I don't know, it was
1: maybe more than known like Ireland was a terrible. That's the thing. You're, a product, you're a product you're a product of your environment. Yeah. It, it wasn't any they probably didn't know any different. Yeah, they exactly. Exactly. You know, and then it it
0: is I it is great to see people much more open to the express themselves Much more open to express themselves now, and I think it's resulted in people being much more informed about psychology, consciousness, uh, and just human
1: experience because we're sharing these things. You know, like you have to, like that's what I do. I do think you're right in what you said. Like it is. It's in my eyes, you cannot properly deal with these issues and kind of get by these issues. Without kind of exposing yourself to them, and like you, you can't just bury it under a rug and and keep going because you're you're not dealing with anything like it. It's it's like in physiotherapy now they talk a lot about say with low back pain they talk about like graded exposure. So yeah, a lot of the literature around back pain now says a lot of it is kind of fear avoidance. So you avoid you, you avoid doing certain movements that you fear will cause you pain. And then, so the concept now is you gradually expose someone to those movements, and it's all about great exposure. I always relate it back to psychological well being, and yeah. it's like if someone's having panic attacks, there is an element of great exposure there. You have to, you can't just hide the fact that you're having a panic attack, you have to allow it, and then you'll gradually teach yourself how to better cope with it and better deal with it and deal with the triggers and deal with everything that comes with it and i just always think it's it's an it's a it's a good way of looking at it and i think it's kind of a similar a similar kind of idea and concept and i think we're kind of just some emotional well-being and kind of your psychological well-being i think the, the day you actually start allowing and don't get me wrong if me a tough and painful experience actually kind of letting those yeah. kind of emotions and feelings get the better of you, but I think it's the only, I think, in my opinion, it's the only way possible that you can move forward from it. I think as long as you throw them in the closet or build up, put up that brick wall, I don't think you can, you can move forward. A,
0: a part of the independent article uh, that was written in 2014, the whole article, when I'm reading it now, there are times where, you know, I get goosebumps and the shivers down my spine, but the, the finishing note Which really, really... Oh, it it just grabs me. It's just... It's so, so powerful. Uh, uh, A battle that I could not have won alone. A battle that no No
1: one could have won. And it is... It's the the, shuddering line from the whole thing that just brings it all together.
0: And it's just... It's so powerful. And it's it's relatable to people with lower back pain. You know... It's the physiotherapist that informs them. Listen, you need some uh, graded exposure yeah. to those things. You know, you know when you bend over and your and your back hurts, don't stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Do a little bit and maybe bend your knees and you know yeah. correct your posture a bit more. And you know don't don't avoid movements that hurt. Those are actually certain things that you should actually be considering, yeah. involving yourself in. It's exactly so the same. You're you're informing that person of that. But when it comes back to you know emotional struggles you need somebody to inform you of particular tools yeah. of of expression or of, of management or of, of you, know, you know the cognitive behavioral yeah. therapy tools and you can't get to that point without expressing yourself. And you it's know? funny, I don't
1: think it actually even has to be like I never actually I gave counselling a try for four or five seconds. Four or five sessions. <laughs> seconds <was> a, <laughs> a, <how's> a <laughs> <problem>? short session. <laughs> I did about four or five sessions and I can right, I was a cynical little brat about going to someone at the time and I was like, no, this no why right. this could help and I probably didn't allow it to help. But for everyone, I probably just didn't click with the person I was with and I should have tried someone else, but anyway, I didn't. Okay. Um, but it, I did realise through all that passing out, probably the longer it took me to get bitings because I didn't get a bit of professional help. But I did realise that that... Help or to win help you win that battle it doesn't necessarily necessarily have to be from someone with a certificate or a piece of paper. It can literally be from anyone. Yeah, absolutely. it can be as simple as having someone just to listen. Yeah, it does, no. It can come in any way, shape, or form. Especially when you
0: consider how absolutely atrocious some ter- some counsellors are. You know, it's if if you if you do if a person does want to go to therapy, they really should. You know, research the school of thought that that person comes from. Are, are they wishy-washy uh, astrology bullshit, or mm. are they you know proper, properly psych- psychologically trained? And do they have a good track record of helping people with their emotional struggles? Don't go to someone who doesn't know what they're talking about, and especially when you're in a professional sense. But from an interpersonal sense, there are just there's a wealth of people that. Are there for you? Whether I think something that it's easy, something that's easy to forget from an individual perspective, at least from my own experience, I'm sure this is shared with everyone, uh, is forgetting that there are many people that love you and care significantly about your well-being, both physical and emotional. You know, you have mm. your family and your friends and your girlfriend, uh, to name a few. Those people love you and, and want. The best for you. And a point I made recently to somebody. Is that. You are actually. Detracting. From somebody's potential experience. If you don't tell them. How. How how, how much suffering you're enduring. Because. When. When I. Let's say I tell you that I'm struggling massively. And you can help me. You will feel good because you have helped someone that you care about feel better. If I don't tell you, yeah. I'm actually detracting from your potential experience and I'm doing our relationship a disservice yeah. by not telling you because I'm robbing you the experience of feeling good about helping me. Yeah. You know, So not only is it important from uh, a selfish health point of view, it's actually important from a, a familial point of view a friendship point of view an an interpersonal relationship point of view because you're actually giving somebody a golden opportunity to help someone that they love
1: it's an interesting concept
0: that's like I I actually think we have we have responsibility not only to ourselves but to those that
1: love us to share our woes with them so that they can feel good about helping us it's a very interesting concept and it's probably the exact opposite of what um society has caused human nature to become human nature now probably because of society is oh no you can't say that keep it to yourself yeah Or yeah. no no i don't want to burden them with that yeah it's complete opposite yeah but you're yeah. right mm-hmm. it, it is and it's just funny how it's funny the way how society has framed and formed things but you are right because you were robbing someone of that opportunity yeah. and yeah. chances are it will expand their Kind of emotional horizons to a completely different level. Yeah, you absolutely you're elevating
0: your your life experience to a whole other plane because you're getting so much fulfilment from helping your fellow man. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's a wonderful thing, but uh, at least at the, the the societal framework isn't as conducive to that. No. Yet, but you know, it's it's up for I suppose individuals to make kind of changes towards that, and if they're sold on that idea. That I, that I said, you know, pra- put it into practice, like, Jesus, I might be robbing people's, I might be robbing people of a potential experience of joy by not telling them my emotional struggles. You know what? I'm going to tell them my emotional struggles, you know. what it it, it it just takes that, uh, that bit of action, you know. Uh, I I love the Mahatma Gandhi quote, uh, be the change you wish you're seeing in the world. Yeah. So if you're, if you're into something, act, act upon it. Um, and, and, uh, if it's something that's crap, at least when you're acting upon it, people will be exposed to it. And they might inform you as to something that's a better philosophy. But if it's good, you're probably going to inspire people. And it's that's interesting. It. I had never actually thought of it that way.
1: Yeah. It's an interesting... I had never once, actually, until you said it there, I'd never even considered it. Um, It's an interesting
0: one. Yeah. Anyway, um, I... Before our conversation, I prepared a just a couple of questions I want to make sure I'm covering all the uh, basics before before you leave because you have an event coming up now shortly a character that really really struck me as an absolute legend in your I believe it was your independent article that he was first mentioned was Joey Fortune Joey Fortune yeah, he really struck me as someone who's very important to you, and, yeah, a, hero. and, a, and a virtuous character. Yeah. Um, what about him do you feel was so impressive, and what about him would you like to reflect in
1: your own personal life? Um, it's funny that you you mention him. Um, I text him. What I text him? Paddy's saying, night. he he does a lot of gigs. He's always gigs. Right? He he works he." teacher um he's two young girls at home his wife um and he does a lot of gigs at the weekend just for an extra bit of cash and he's flat out coaching teams ga teams or whatever so he spends his friday saturday night's gigging he's he's fond of an you know, rebel tune or whatever <laughs> so um i actually just text him i text him paddy's day night um just said no i just said it I, I, last text was the 11th of march and then i text him paddy's day night and then we'd be in contact with, weekly like most days um I just text him, um, true loyalty is a rare thing. Don't give too hard. Um and I actually think that um it actually, it's funny you ask me because that, that word if someone asks me about him, that's the word I use. It's just loyalty. Sheer the man is just I've never known anyone who could be so loyal to you. Um if he decides to take you under his wing, he he will look after you till the end. I don't know what it is about him because we are actually we're actually quite different characters. Um, he's a small, five foot four, aggressive bastard. Right. <laughs> With arms bigger than my legs, like little juice head arms, and um, he can <laughs> I'm be. I'm sure he loved this. He can be quite, quite a cranky little fucker, and um, just. Ju- like confrontational when he needs to be just the opposite of me um i'm tall lanky he'll tell me i'm a skinny fucker and that i don't maybe i'm not aggressive enough or whatever but i don't know in what way shape or form or how it happened we just kind of clicked and uh, yeah just massive loyalty and just Blunt honesty of of what you need to hear, and when you need to hear, it and and, and kind of what kind of struck me with him was he, he came into my life as as a as a manager, so he was the manager of his own under twenty one team, and he just approached the thing in a completely different way than I had ever experienced before. You were not to him, you weren't a player. Like often in especially in county teams, the way it's all about winning nowadays. You're like to a lot of the time to some managers and coaches you can just be a player it's almost like you're a pawn in a chess game to him you weren't. you were first and foremost you were a person and secondly you were a player um and i think that was probably what what probably drew me to trust him that bit more and open up to him and he just the most genuine character just and he back you up till the last like um i don't even know i it's funny like i can't think, i'm struggling to even kind of put it into words now With you you ask me what it is about him or i actually struggle to put it into words like what exactly it is or how exactly he did it because i still don't quite know like when before i met him i was having panic attacks when i was playing and goal like massive anxiety and massive panic attacks at the top of playing and goal in a hurling game sport i love which just makes no sense to me whatsoever. but anyway that's what was happening and by the time I f- he finished with me, I was back on the door twenty-one squad, um genuinely confident about playing in th- in goal again, didn't fear it, wasn't getting anxious about it, genuinely brimming with confidence on and off the pitch, had dealt with kinda a lot of kinda more kinda deeper issues in my own head as well. Um, and I'm not really quite sure how he how he did it. I, I think it was just as simple as he just took a genuine human interest in me. And I think that can often... Something as simple as that can be a massively undervalued thing. Like massively undervalued. If you take a real... And I don't mean like kind of a half hour. Like a real genuine genuine human interest in someone's well-being. um, I think it can actually have a massive effect on someone. And I think that's all that really... I think that's all he really did to be honest. I think he just took a genuine genuine interest in me and just instilled a belief and a confidence in me um, that I was actually kind of worth, worth something and throughout the whole process no matter what I was feeling or, or how I was performing or what I told him um, or where my head was at it just an unwavering loyalty to me um, when there was no real reason for him to offer me that loyalty because we had only come into his lives and he'd never I'd never really done anything for him yeah so yeah, just, it's the only way I can really describe it, but just someone who's had a massive influence on my life, someone who I am still in touch with on a weekly basis, um, and always will be, just um, if, if I ever needed something serious ever came up and I did need him... That i'd have no hesitation in calling them regardless of what it was about someone i still get a lot of advice from even this year with the club i managed the club under 21 hurling team and um, we won the county b championship and even everything i tried to do with the lads obviously you put your own stamp on it you do things your own way but in terms of his man, demand management and how you look after the lads i tried to model myself on what it's on how i'd seen him do it um, I asked him to come speak to the lads the last training session before the county final. I regularly sought his counsel just on small little things. even Not even big things, but just small little things throughout the whole thing. Just, yeah, someone who's had a massively positive influence on me. Um, who, who I may ne- not necessarily have even had really in-depth emotional conversations with at any time. I could be wrong, he knew all the stuff that was going on with me. Um, but not not massively massively in-depth um, emotional conversations with at the time but, but whereby there was kind of just an understanding between the two of us of what was going on in my head he could sense it and he could just offer me what exactly I needed to hear yeah. but yeah just well legend! yeah
0: I I, I heard a, a similar relationship described recently and the, the idea it was articulated with the word grace uh, so basically, the idea that when you find yourself in a position of need, oftentimes the people that you get significant help from are practically total strangers. Yeah. So at the time you was yeah uh, when people are it's it's most obvious when people are bereaved. I think when someone loses somebody very close to them, often the people who come to the fore and really really help. Are comparative strangers to their aunts or their uncles or their brothers or their sisters or their or their parents, but yet they could do the most, and it's it's. I think it's. The that idea is best articulated by the word grace, and it's just the idea of helping someone, for no reason. Yeah. Precise. Other other than to help, and it's it's great to hear that it. Uh, a uh, real friendship has has flourished from ah, from, yeah. those, from those early days of you know, sincere emotional struggle. He he seems like an absolute legend, but uh, when I, when I thought about him, I only know him from your stories. I haven't I haven't I don't know anything else about about Joey. But uh, grace seems to seems to be one of his great virtues, which I think is is worth upholding and and, and worth trying to emulate in our own lives, so that. When we see someone in sincere difficulty, uh, whether we know them or not, we uh, we reach out to them. Or uh, when when it's when it's feasible, when it's responsible. Uh, or another instance uh, in which I try and employ grace is when I think of someone who I care deeply about or I love, uh, but that I haven't talked to in ages, yeah. uh, or that inspired me. Uh, like I might just shoot them a text or like, oh well, what's the story I was thinking of you about this, you know, you randomly came into my mind and I just wanted to say fucking, I uh, hope all is well or how are you getting on or something, you know,
1: uh, I I think that's... It can be, and it can be a hard thing to do to be fair. Yeah. When you don't, to try and help someone that you don't necessarily know, it can be, yeah. it can be a hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, but, I don't know what, yeah, you, you've described it very well but it can, and I think it, it's a very easy thing to say, oh we should all kind of Show more grace like that, or, or or do things like that more, and help strangers. But it can actually be quite, a, it can be a hard thing to it's, do. It's very, very difficult,
0: difficult. And, and and I I suppose a point that I should really try and hit home to tie in with grace is that uh, you know you do you do it when it's responsible, so you don't uh, you're not you know grace is not the forefront of your mind when you're flat out trying to, you know, get your own life in order, you know, you, you do it when, when you're able to, I think some people can, uh, sometimes, reach out, too much, yeah. and, uh, to, to their own, to their own, disservice, like, um, so, some people can, tear themselves in half, you know, I've heard of this fella, who, uh, who's doing a Masters in Physio, and, uh, he's flat out doing well with his club, and, uh, you know, when he has his portfolio due really soon, he's, he, he does these events, like, you know uh, I don't know I don't know if you know anyone like that dickhead uh, <laughs> but you know it's it, it, and that's that's why I try and factor in the, the whole idea of you know re tying in grace with self preservation yeah. well, like, you know um, a phrase that was used was in one of the articles was to challenge yourself is to better yourself and I I love that yeah how how could
1: you expand on that mantra um I don't think I ever actually said that. I actually think it, uh, funnily enough, I actually think it could have been Joe Fortune who said that to me. Something I carried though. Um, to challenge yourself is the better yourself. Yeah, I just, it, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier. I just, I'd hate to look back in 10 or 15 times, when 10 or 15 years' times so when I don't know whether there's kids or a mortgage and you're that bit more tied in your life, which. That it's 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 reality of life that there will be come a period of time when you are not that bit more tied based on your circumstances, and kind of I'd hate to look back and think fuck I should have done that. There was more in me. That's what I hate. I I'd always it'd be a regular conversation between my girlfriend and I, and she only ever looking out for the absolute best interest of me. She'd be like, just just give yourself a break, cut yourself a bit of slack, like, and I'd be like, but I I don't i know there's more in me or i don't want to look back and think that there's more in me. that's my fear that in 10 or 15 years time that there'll be something or things that i didn't do that i know i could have done or that i didn't make the most of myself or i didn't get the most benefit for other people out of myself um and i suppose that's kind of where that comes from i i do i think it's important to challenge yourself i think i think it's very easy to kind of just kind of revert back to kind of the robot one of our teachers in secondary school used to always talk about the robot and the robot is basically just going about every day in the same manner without actually thinking about what you're doing but you just do it you go to school you come home you go upstairs you're doing your homework you have your dinner you go back downstairs you watch the symptoms you go to bed that's what he used to say to us like he was like don't fall into the robot i think it's very it's i've always remembered it. i think it's very relevant in modern day society um that it that you don't get caught up in the robot and you don't just go kind of robotically about your life day after day after day because before you know it a lot of time has gone by so um yeah i just i like to do things to challenge myself i think it's important i'm not one of these people who goes around saying oh i like my life begins out of my comfort zone i do think it's important to challenge yourself i'm not saying go and do stuff that you absolutely are terrified about doing or you're really not comfortable doing every day because then you're just going to not live a very happy existence but at the same time I do think you should do things that you enjoy doing but do them in a challenging manner and set yourself goals and targets that get the best out of yourself so um yeah I think that's kind of my thinking on that one and uh, it's why I I've probably cycled around Ireland twice it's why I, I probably am a bit more outspoken about kind of Emotional well being and psychological well being. Um, it's why I do a bit of coaching. It's probably why I do the talks in schools. Um, just more so just because of the conversations that you can gain out of them. That you can challenge yourself. Yeah. And how better to I don't know talk to people or help people. I don't nice. know. I just I just it's just a small little thing. I. It's not for everyone, and at times, like. Some of my best friends, like, they look at me and they're like, you're mad. Like, why? Like, would you not just, like, chill out and go to the club, have a few pints with the lads? And, like, I genuinely, I I hand on heart mean this, I I genuinely look at some of them and I'm like, I wish I could just have your kind of just genuine self-happiness. And they're genuinely content with their lives, right? And they're just living normal lives like most 20 whatever-year-old lads, they go to work, they come home, they play with a football in the evenings, they have their few pints at the weekend, they, whatever, they just go to cinema, do whatever, their own thing, and I genuinely look at, and they're genuinely, genuinely hand-on-heart happy, and I look at them, and I'm like, in so many ways, I wish I could have that, yeah, because yeah. just the way I am, and, and what that line that you use there, that kind of mantra, as much as I wouldn't change it, because it drives you to do, and achieve, good things and it, it has driven me to try and help others in, in whatever way I can but at the same time it's also that constant nagging voice in the back of my head that never lets me rest easy and that is constantly there thinking ah, you can do more you yeah. should be doing more yeah and Again, it's it's what I, I keep going back it's that balance and I just yeah um, so it is I, I do I do try and, and, and challenge myself to better myself all the time but at the same time I do need to learn that. Maybe it's not always the right thing to do. Yeah. You know? Well,
0: I listen. I I definitely I I love that mantra, and I, I love your attitude. It, it it mirrors mine quite well. Uh, I I like challenging myself. Um. With regards your mates, they reflect pretty much identically upon uh, many of my friends too, and that works great for them, and. But I, I don't necessarily think it's something that should be envied in the same way that I don't think our lifestyle is necessarily something something that should be envied by them either. And I, I can imagine a similar conversation between two people that, in, in your friend group saying, Jeez, Cormac, he's a real fucking, he's a real go-getter. He's always challenging himself. I wish I was more like that. Like, listen, I, like I have the crack and I, I enjoy going for pints and, and going to the cinema and playing football and going to my job. But there's just... I. I like the way he does different things you know and that's that's totally fair enough to say that but you know don't don't let that devalue your your individual experience if, if you're living a fulfilling life and you're flourishing in, in your own environment and um, and much like yourself if, if you're flourishing in your environment and you're you're living a considered and fulfilled life it it's okay that you're not following the same path as them and it, like it, it's it, you know, at times it can be enviable but overall you're living you you're, you're following your own path mm. your own you're, you're doing your own things you're not um you not, you're not falling into the to the done things no, I don't do which, the dumb things
1: and I'm probably more odd than anything but it's it's not even the path it's it's nothing of the path that I envy because I don't, I don't even drink or anything like but it's the it's the just and there's something brilliant about just being genuinely content,
0: yeah yeah,
1: and I don't have that. Like I like I'm happy in my life. do I'm in I'm in a genuinely happy place, and ninety nine percent of it I would not change. And I, I'm glad I can honestly, have my heart say I've come a long way in five or six years, and that I am in a good, good, genuinely happy place. But at the same time, are you a hundred percent happy? Are you a hundred percent content? Um. No, I'm not. Yeah, and I just think I look at. Some of my friend and they are they're just they're genuinely just they're happy out and I look at it and I'm just like wouldn't that be really nice?
0: I think I think you're 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 viewing their lives through Disney goggles. Do like, <laughs> you know what? Like the the whole idea of of a hundred percent happy and a hundred percent. It's probably not real, is it's it? It's not. It's well. It's, it's it's not. It's not real. Um, and yeah. I, I. But when when you talk about your friends, I can see I can see the love in your eyes and. Uh, a friend of my own springs to mind um, and he's class he's just he's really relaxed and he loves football and he loves chilling out and he's real like when you spend time in his company he just he just brings the ambience you know to a real calm level and he's just real considered in his movements and he's just he's just cool he's yeah. quite slow and deliberate uh, the way he moves and the way he talks and he, he's never in a rush and he's he to me, he epitomizes cool. You know, he's just really fucking cool. Yeah. Um, and I suppose, you know, I I'm, te- I'm saying, you know, you shouldn't envy your mates, and like I shouldn't envy him. But no, I I do. Uh, but I, I I definitely think I have something to learn from him, and I definitely, I'm sure you, much like your friends, have something yeah. to learn from you. You have something to learn from your mates in that there's a there's a stoicism in 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 that lifestyle, which is. Which is definitely something to be upheld, like a just. A, I don't, I'm not sure how to precisely articulate it, but it's a, a contentment. You know, it's it's not it's not happiness because I think happiness is is like it's a bit Hollywood and wishy-washy. Like no one's ever truly a hundred percent happy no. all the time, you know. Sure. Uh, but there's a there's a there's a kind of a baseline contentment to which people. It's to, to which the type of people we describe are calibrated towards uh without experiencing sincere highs yeah. and sincere lows, that's the way I kind of view my own emotional experiences something that's that has you know when I'm happy i'm fucking I'm buzzing I'm on cloud nine uh you know I'm the happiest man in the world, and then when I'm sad, I'm the saddest man in the world, I'm the most stressed man, the the yeah. most anxious fearful man in the world, and then I go back up and whereas you know the the friend that I was describing earlier. He's just more. Just he's just really allowing that continuum of of, of kind of a, a, a stoic baseline, which isn't like his mood isn't too changeable. And I I think that's cool. Um, but listen, we're all we're all distinct characters, and we should uh, allow allow ourselves to.
1: If we we're all in a stoic nature, it'd be a boring place. Oh my
0: god, <laughs> Lord! I, oh, I mental! I I. I couldn't uh, play football uh, f- four times a week and go for pints in the weekend. So that that's that's my idea of hell. Yeah. That is my idea of hell. And um, and listen, going living abroad for a year and and doing all that. Oh, to them, that's their idea. live you know, abroad this is here it. is class, this you know. It. Uh, and we're both right.
1: Yeah, you know, it's quite individual about what you really want and what what kind of suits you and what what it is that. Get you going, I suppose. Yeah. You no. Know? Uh,
0: so before before we wrap up, I've mentioned the articles a few times, and uh, we've alluded to the talks you do in schools mm. and in fact you're you're going to your Animal Matter this mm. afternoon for a cardiac event. hmm I pose the question in two parts. So why do you continue to talk in schools and what about the culture in Ireland surrounding emotional well-being? Would you like to change or see change or be part of the change?
1: So I suppose why do I do it? Is I, just, I suppose ever since that thing came out in the independent and it got its positive reaction and you start receiving messages, um, and i think once you kind of put yourself out there there's probably i genuinely feel like there's probably an obligation to do it yeah you mentioned that Um, kind of feel like there's an onus to do it and um, and that is the genuine reason why like it i probably a lot of time talks in schools they might not suit me with other stuff that's going on but i still say yes and i still force the time into my day to do them just purely because i feel that there's an onus to do them I think they're a really good thing and that when someone young is talking to other young people it can be really 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 a positive thing and where someone can take real value from it um, I don't know, I'm not going to harp on about any other reason why I do I just I feel That's like true. I should I just genuinely feel yeah. like I should do them um, if the, that if the, that obligation response yeah, if someone, yeah, I yeah, yeah. if someone if someone feels that you can offer something to this these 100 TY or 50 year kids Um, but then I just think you have a responsibility to try as best you can to offer them whatever insight you can and if it helps one of them yeah you hear it and it's probably a cliche phrase at this stage with all this stuff but it is generally true if you help one of them and one person gets any goes home that day and feels a whole lot better um, and encourages them to make a first step on their road to recovery or, or, or find themselves well then why not do it second part I don't know what, what, do I want, like what do I think of it or what do I want my role to be or how would you
0: review the culture in Ireland uh, about emotional uh, well-being today uh, um, and what, what do you think is the most important thing you'd
1: like to see changed I'd be quite positive about it I do think as, as a society and as a group of people on this island we've come a, a really long way One of the things I noticed um, from a few of the people I'd still be in touch with from the States from the time I spent over there and from a few of my American Canadian friends now that are in the Masters, they'd often say that it's one thing they notice is that we're much more open about it on social media and stuff over here compared to back home. Um, So that resonates with me. I do think we are doing a lot right, I think at a, a kind of government level and and all that type of thing and money and funding and programs and resources and services. Yeah, look, mental health services and that are available in the community are far, far below what they need to be. But I think all that kind of money and government funding aside and health service issues aside, I think as a society we are doing quite well. I think it is become a very kind of open and transparent topic that people are willing to discuss that's my experience of it anyway what I like to say so I, I will be quite positive about where it's gone in this country. I won't be I won't be too negative about it. I think talk me around there's a massive amount more that can be done and uh, kind of I don't know the exact figures but I do know that suicide rates are still way and far beyond what they should be in this country and that it will be a slow change and it is a slow change. But I do I do think as a society and just normal people who can only change so much, I do think we are all doing quite well. We're not the ones with the power in our hands to devote funding to certain areas. So I think as much as we can do, I think we're all doing quite okay and that people are willing to open up and talk about it and are very welcoming about the whole topic. Um if you could offer me one if, if, if i could have one thing that i could not act change and money and services weren't an issue i think uh, to me it has to be the secondary schools um and that's probably i'm probably forming that opinion from where i've been and doing the talks and things but it has to like i always say it like like growing up like when you're 16 17 it's the shitest time ever well i uh, this was my experience of it it was fucking awful you're just trying to adhere to these social norms like like that is all it is when you're growing up as a teenager it's adhering to social norms and it's it's just trying to be something you're not so you can fit in and all that bullshit and like I don't know whether you bring it in as part of like the educational curriculum or whether it's a rollout program that comes into schools. just something when they kind of get to that third fourth year level onwards that is a daily class or even like two or three classes a week just properly devoted to personal development like personal development of the individual and, and that's not just purely mental health in all aspects like a personal development class it probably should be one class every day and it can be all sorts of things kind of emotional well-being how to look after yourself what kind of things you may experience your life physical well-being um diet exercise nutrition just everything like anything you can think of like building relationships and um, careers going forward just a real like i don't know whether you call it personal development class or what the fuck you call it i don't know who takes it i'm living in fairyland slightly here but something needs to go in to the secondary schools kind of second third year on earth where it's a couple of classes a week and it is properly devoted to just Bring these teenagers on as humans like just educating them as humans not as like at the end of the day like fair fucks to them all but who gives a fuck about I, I'm going to insult a historian now but who really gives a fuck about Irish history or British history war like fucking wars in the past like fucking the lad's going on their adventures around the world like really what does that do for a teenager growing up really what does it do same with irish literature irish was one of my favorite subjects in secondary school but i hated the whole irish literature jazz and um, english literature the same fucking like if you can read and write and do a lot of the basics right yeah you're great but like they're churning these kids out of secondary school and there's just i don't know there's they're just not developed as people They're developed as these kids who can ream off essays, but they're not developed as people. And I just think something needs to go in there and that can look after all those aspects. Psychological well-being, emotional health, physical health, everything. And that can just round them, sculpt them a bit. I don't know who does it. I don't know who gives the classes. I don't know how it's rolled out or what's involved, but just something. That'd be my wish list list in my little fairyland.
0: Brilliant. Cormac Ryan, this podcast is all about you. Gentlemen.
1: Thank you very much. No
0: You're very welcome, buddy.